Game of Thrones Season 5, Episode 5 is over, but the book club is just beginning. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, and I am joined here by someone who is going to keep reading. Keep reading, Terry Schwartz. Uh, it's Terry Schwartz. It's Terry Schwartz. It's Terry Schwartz. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. What did you think of this episode? I thought it was good. I thought it was good. You know, It's Kate- a big one. It's so weird, these episodes that are just entirely different from anything we knew beforehand. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's uh, it's a big one, but a small one at the same time. You know, fewer stories, fewer stories, not less stories, fewer stories, as Stannis would have <laughs> me say. Uh, fewer stories uh, on this episode than there usually are. You know, we're really only focusing on four different storylines. We completely skip away from King's Landing this week. Nothing in Dorne happening. It's all north and it's all across the Narrow Sea, and that's basically it. Uh, did you like that? Did you like that we were kind of a little bit more focused than usual? You know, now that you mention it, I I didn't notice what we were missing at the time. But to me, the King's Landing stuff has been such, some of the more captivating this season. And I did feel like there was something that didn't have me quite as hooked with this episode. So maybe I did miss that. And I just it was on a subconscious level. Yeah. Uh, but I like the stuff that's going on in um in the North. I think that's all really interesting. I think this is definitely John's strongest season. He's not, (laughs) he's not like the nervous, unsure pouty guy anymore. Uh, this stuff across the narrow sea, it's a little hit or miss for me. I, I think that they need to, I guess they got to the point in this week's episode with Jorah and Tyrion, and now they're going to travel by land instead of by sea. But, uh, but I think that's been a little bit meandering. All right. Well, there's there's misandaying. <laughs> it sort of works. It we'll, sort of works. We'll give you we'll a go with it. Thank you. One. I appreciate it. I'm sorry. I'm drinking a lot of coffee right now, Terry. I'm overworked, as are you. Uh, but we're but we're having fun. We're having fun here. And this we're is, halfway through the Game of Thrones season. I cannot are. believe that we're already that far through. Fifty percent of the way through Game of Thrones, it flies. When it comes on, it is uh, it's a fast experience. So so let's get let's get into this real quick and just the the super quick prerequisite spoiler warning. If you are listening to this podcast and you have not read the books that Game of Thrones is based on, you are in spoiler territory. This is the podcast for the people who have read all of the books in A Song of Ice and Fire, are familiar with the theories, or are at least interested in the theories that surround the books. Uh, if that's not your thing, go away now. Um, so let's let's dive into it, because even though there's, there's not a ton of different storylines to talk about this week, even though it's kind of a more focused episode with just a few of these characters really in the spotlight, it's actually kind of an interesting one from the book perspective. There were Small changes, uh, subtle changes, but I think fairly important ones and changes that some people really, really latched onto. I mean, there are big changes in the form of the grayscale storyline. We're definitely going there now. We had been wondering for a while why grayscale kept getting mentioned on the show with Shireen Baratheon always bringing it up, uh, Tyrion talking to Varys and mentioning the stone men. And this week we got the stone men attack that we end up getting in the books. But instead of, you know, the Griff's being involved and Griff getting getting uh, grayscale, John Connington getting grayscale. We are uh, assigning that to Jorah Mormont on the show, which was a big a big surprise for me, actually. What'd you think? Um, I like it. You know, again, 
listen, I, I've mentioned this. I'm, I'm on board with this idea that, you know, we are going to be, you know, we're, we're, we're shrinking in, we're digging in, we're not going to be expanding. So I am now of the mind that we're not doing the Connington thing. The Connington thing is out. Uh, we're not going to, I don't think that the show is going to be doing John Connington. I don't think that the show is going to be doing uh, Aegon or fake Aegon, Fagon, if that's, if that's your theory. Um, I don't think that we're going there. I don't think we're doing Griff and Young Griff certainly not this season. And we've had a lot of reason to think that way. But I think the fact that Jorah Mormont is taking over the Grayscale storyline really does tell us that we're moving away from John Connington. And I'm interested. I like assigning this to, to Jorah Mormont. I think that it, it gives his character, who already has a lot on his plate with trying to figure out a way to redeem himself for Danny, it gives him another thing to handle, you know, another another big burden on his back. And I like that. I, I think that Ian Glenn is one of the great actors of the show. And so to give him more material, material to work with, I'm, I'm all for it. I think it's really interesting that back-to-back, we've had Danny lose and now be in the process of losing two of her closest advisors. Yeah. Because I mean, to me, obviously like we don't know what happens to John Connington. We don't know what happens to Jorah. Obviously Shireen lived through having grayscale because Stannis called maesters from all over the world. But to me, that's a death sentence. This is all over the world, all over the world. Oh my God. I have not listened back to any of these podcasts specifically because I don't want to hear myself singing. And I'm sorry to everyone that <laughs> no, I do you're so good. every single one. Oh God. Anyone who has seen me do karaoke knows that I am the absolute worst singer in the world. So again, apologies that everyone has gotten this in every single episode. Terry, you're doing, you're, you're doing a great job of uh, throwing people off the scent that you and I are recording a book club album. Oh wait, God, did I, I say that out loud? Spoiled it. Uh, oh, well, good thing this is a live show. I'll edit this part out. <laughs> you didn't put the book club soundtrack spoiler warning at yeah. the top of this. I'll, I'll edit this part out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, oh God, I just got so distracted. Oh, what I was going to say about fake Aegon or Aegon or whatever you believe is that I feel like they're building up to a John. Targaryen reveal maybe this season because they've been very heavy handed with it. And I'm sort of jumping over to John's storyline briefly, but there's this scene between Sam and Maester Aemon where Maester Aemon is like, Oh, it sucks. Like, to have only one Targaryen in the world immediately cut to John walking into the room. Yes. And to me, I'm like, one of our listeners, Andrew pointed that out. Andrew wrote in and said, I'm just writing to say that. I hope you guys discuss Maester Aemon saying how much it sucks to be a Targaryen alone at the edge of the world. And John shows up right after that. Yeah. Well, we've had, we've had a lot of, <laughs> we've had a lot of these moments that are just like, Hey, everyone who knows what R plus L equals J is. It's real. <laughs> Do you think this season has been a little bit too heavy handed? Because to me, there are, a lot of these yeah i mean it's just like it's lacking a lot of the subtlety and i actually wonder like i feel like show watchers still would pick up on this stuff even if they didn't lean into it so heavily it's so hard to say it's so hard to say you know we we're familiar with the theory you and i so it's it's hard for us to be able to tell whether or not that would be the case um for maybe in retrospect the books are like that too though maybe if you go back and you look at that stuff knowing what it is you're like oh george made it like really obvious at this moment i don't think it's too obvious i think they're i think they're making it pretty exciting i think you know for me it's like the the books have have taken such a long time to get to this point and the show has taken a, an even longer time to really start digging into any of these clues about R plus L equals J that every time that they are doing, you know, like the, the little finger wink, you know, the, the fact that John walks in after Eamon says this for me, it's just like, Oh man, we're doing it. 
we're doing it. So I like it. I don't think it's too obvious. And even if it is a little obvious, I'm, I'm still just enjoying it. And I guess like I have some coworkers that tap to it who really love Game of Thrones, but haven't read the books, maybe have done some Wikipedia, but haven't dived too deep into it beyond what I spoil to them. And there, you know, when there was that, I I know I'm the worst, but when there was that, you know, big Rhaegar, Lyanna explainer scene, I had a friend come up to me and be like, oh my God, like blah, 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 John Snow's parents and all that stuff. So I guess if you're just figuring it out based on these clues in the show, that can have the same sort of exciting, like feeling like you've discovered something untouched that no one has seen before feel that you get when you figure out those theories on your own in the books. Yeah. Um, let's stick with Grayscale for a little while because you know, there's there's a lot we can talk about. We can talk about whether or not this means that the Connington story is off the table, that young Griff and old Griff are not going to appear. Here's what I'll say. I think that the reason that that grayscale matters in the books, you know, even more so than than the characters that are involved in the grayscale storyline in the books is that grayscale, someone with with grayscale is in Westeros, you know, uh, someone who's in a position of of some some form of power is in in Westeros. John Connington, who is going to be at the forefront of this military campaign for Aegon Targaryen. That has to be a big deal. The fact that this disease is now, you know, kind of active within this character who you assume is going to be interacting with a bunch of characters. For me, what that suggests to me is that Grayscale has to be important in Westeros on the show as well. And I mean, I guess that we could just make the Shireen Grayscale thing a bigger deal in Westeros on the show. There's reason to believe that that might be the case just because of how often we've been talking about that on the show. But what it means to me is that Jorah Mormont and Danny and Tyrion are going to be going to Westeros sooner than later. Uh, like this, this means to me that Jorah has to be bringing Grayscale over to the Seven Kingdoms, and that means Danny is coming to the Seven Kingdoms as well. That's that's been my read on it, and that's something that's really exciting for me. Given that, as far as we are in the books, Danny still has not made that move. Totally, I'm with you on that. I don't think that it's necessarily going to happen this season. Uh, you know, we only see that Jorah has a little bit of Grayscale on him. I don't know. A spot of grayscale, a cootie spot of grayscale, as Rob Sesterdino calls it. Uh, I guess we don't really know yet how quickly it will spread. I'm assuming, you know, maybe his arm by the end of the season, something still that he can hide. Uh, I still stand by that. I think that the end of the season will be, I know you think that Danny flying away on Drogon will happen before the end of the season. I still think that's last episode material, but I could see her, getting to Westeros next season. It has to happen. I mean, it's been five seasons. If they're really doing it in seven, you can't save that until the last season. That's just not good payoff or good storytelling. Right. I I just feel like Jorah getting Grayscale to me makes it feel like uh, we're quickening the timetable on Danny going to Westeros. That's just, that's just been my kind of feeling on. And so on that level, I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm sad to lose John Connington if we're not going to have John Connington on the show. Cause I think he's an interesting character. I think that he's a layer character uh i think that he you know his backstory with rhaegar targaryen and being in love with rhaegar and that being really kind of cleverly written in the books makes him a really fascinatingly drawn character and i'm I'm, i lament the loss if he's not on the show but we love jorah mormont jorah mormont is such a good character on the show ian glenn does such a great job so to give him a little more to chew on if that's the sacrifice we have to make and if we're already sacrificing characters look if we're not gonna have strong bell i'm okay with not having john (laughs) as i've made clear just 
strong Belwaz was was the first strike, and after that, you know, uh, I've I've made my peace with it. Once they bring in strong Belwaz, I'll start campaigning for other characters. But until actually, then, I have only energy for Belwaz. They're gonna have an extra season, like the zombie season of Lost. They're just gonna have the strong Belwaz season of Game of Thrones, and it's just gonna be him. Just give me a web series. <laughs> web series. We'll like, make our own web series. Do you think that this means that John, uh, not John Connington? Do you think that this means that Jorah Mormont is dead in the books, like in the same way that Barristan the Bold dying early on the show pretty much seems to indicate to us that Barristan is not going to make it through maybe not book six, but probably not through the whole thing at least. Does this indicate to you that Jorah has grayscale? Not that people haven't been able to survive grayscale, but does this mean to you that that Jorah has this ticking clock in the books as well as on the show? Because on the show, he certainly does. In the books, do you think that he is in big trouble? I mean, did you ever really think he was going to make it through to the end? Yeah, I, I don't think that it's really? out of the realm of possibility. Um, I you know, we imagine that he would die in some tragic way. Well, there's a lot of people, and I mean, a lot of people have thoughts on who the 1,000th command, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch is going to be. You know, Jon mm-hmm. Snow is 998 for a reason. Uh, you know, we got to get to 999. Now that Jon Snow at the end of A Dance with Dragons is being taken out, you imagine that there will be somebody who fills his spot whether or not he comes back from the dead uh and then somebody's got to end this series uh at 1000 it's just got to happen um Rickon. Rickon? <laughs> yeah i mean i've seen i've He's seen gotta a, have some story function. i've seen a, i've seen a bunch of theories of, of who that could be i've seen you know stannis could take that spot i've seen people think that jamie lannister could take that spot um i i personally have felt that that theon could be an interesting choice for that but there there are reasons to believe that jorah mormont could take that spot because of his father who held that role for such a long time so i you know for me i really like that idea that jorah could come to westeros could atone for his sins in some capacity and take on the the leadership of the night's watch and that kind of has some sort of sorrowful tone to separating himself from danny for whatever reason i i, I mean that's fan fiction but I really like that idea. So I, it's, it's I don't so funny to me that you're even, I never thought about the 1000. Oh, I love that idea. That's, that's one of my favorite I, things to chew on is just like, who's that going to be? Well, I don't even think they're going to get that far. I don't really think the wall is coming down before the end of the series. You do think so? Yeah. Well, I mean, even if it comes down, you think that there wouldn't necessarily be a watch that's going to try and build something back up. Well, I guess my other theory that I always stand by is that Westeros is going to be a smoking ruin at the end of this, and there's going to be nothing there to defend. Yeah, but uh, the but the chosen one, Azor Hazai, is uh, reborn amidst smoke and salt. There's a theory that Jorah could be Azor Hazai. Oh. You don't think so? There's like some substantial stuff out there. Uh, It's above his pay grade. (laughs) Above his pay grade. I think that's above his pay grade. I don't think Lord Commander's above his pay grade. I have have two questions for you. First, what did you think of the depiction of the stone men. And second, what did you think of actually getting to see Valyria yeah, so on are, Game of Thrones? So these are two big things that we got we to gotta dig into. First off, the stone men, a lot of people like were kind of weighing them against the walkers of the walking yeah. dead. Did you see that as well? Well, no, but I sort of got that vibe. I mean... <laughs> Why could they not breathe, but yet could move so quickly is my biggest question. Like, I didn't hate them like some people did, but I get like the whole, they have stone esophagi or esophaguses. Were they not breathing? 
well, no, but they had like this raspy, like, m- like hissy sort of breath. And I was like, oh, maybe it's because they're st- turning stone on the inside. But then they were like running around super quickly, which I, I don't know. That was my own rationalization of it. Not they were so stoned. Um, uh, oh God, uh, the stoned men of Westeros. Yeah, the stoned men. Uh, I thought it was fine. I thought, I thought they were good. I thought that the sequence was really good. Um, you know, the, again, there's, there's just these, listen, the books are better than the show. <laughs> I, I prefer the Take books to the show. The I, I, I love the show. I adore the show, but you know, I really love the books. And I think anybody who comes from this as a book reader first is more often than not, I think inclined to say the same, not always, not always true. Um, but you know, there are certain things in the books that I think are just done so much better than they are on the show. The first example I can give, uh, off the top of my head is, you know, my favorite chapter in any of the books, as I've said before, I think last season is when Bran finds the children of the forest and he and Hodor and Jojen and Mira are attacked outside the cave. And there's like this moment where Bran is like, oh, my God, it's going to rip my guts out. This thing is going to actually rip my guts out. Uh, and it's just like it's such a nightmare. There's so much nightmare fuel in that chapter. And I think that when we went a little bit of like the, you know, like the into into Golden Fleece territory with with the skeletons coming up and it was a cool action sequence, but it, it just lost a little bit of the horror for me. Yeah. Um, and I feel like a little bit of the horror was lost in the stone men scene in this episode where I feel like in the books with, um, you know, with Griff involved in Tyrion and it really being from Tyrion's perspective, it felt very nightmarish where this felt a little bit more like a tense action scene than a nightmare scene. And I think that that's just the power of words. You know, you, you come up with the visuals yourself, you picture how it plays out in your head. And I think, you know, I would, I would chalk this up as a personal problem for me in terms of how much I enjoyed those two particular scenes, but I just love the nightmare fuel of these scenes as, as George writes them in the books. And I think a little bit of that magic was lost on the show. Well, it's sort of taking your point going back to what we were talking about last year, last week. That's why I don't necessarily want to see Rhaegar and Lyanna or the tourney at Harrenhal because I just don't see how that. They're so, they're so hyped up in your, in your mind. Yeah. I just, I don't see how that could live up to it. And I feel like actually casting Rhaegar and casting Lyanna and having actors forever be, be those people, it would just take away from something of that mythology. Like, give me a painting or a portrait of them. But I don't know if I, I, I used to think I wanted a flashback, but I don't think that I do anymore. Well, I think that, you know, I, I, I'm not going to complain if we get a flashback, unless the flashback sucks. In which case, I'll complain. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but let's hope that doesn't happen. If we do get a flashback, let's hope it's awesome. But I, I do agree. I think maybe my preference would be not to have the flashback uh, for a bunch of reasons, but one of them being so we can do that as like a mini series at some point in the future. Yeah, right. <laughs> you got to imagine that we're going to get stuff like that at some point in the future. I feel you know, like everyone's going to follow the Marvel Cinematic Universe model, and we're going to get the Westeros Cinematic Universe at some point. Yeah. But so, let's talk about awesome. Valyria. Yeah, so let's talk about Valyria. What did you think, Terry? I've I've gabbed enough. What did you think of going to Valyria in this episode? I thought it looked really cool. And I keep thinking back to this one line that I read that Kit Harrington said in an interview at some point this season where he was like, this in every previous season, when we were, were asking, can we do this? Can we do that? They would say, no, there's not enough money. And this year, every time they said, can we do this? HBO said, yes. And you totally see that in these sequences. Like, to me, it looked gorgeous. A little part of me 
is very disappointed because I secretly hope that like somewhere in Valyria, it's not just a smoking ruin and stuff is happening and there's more at play there. Um, and obviously we only saw the ruins of Valyria, but it was still just the exterior of the country. Maybe there's still stuff going on inside. Um, but I just, I thought it looked really, really neat. And I'm happy, even if this is the only time we get to see Valyria that we at least got to see it. So what do you, what, what's your prediction then? Do you think that we will get to see more Valyria? Like, is this on the show? Is Valyria on the show right now to set up the fact that we're going to come back here, that this is a place that now exists in our universe. It has a visual representation. We know what it looks like. We know people who have been there. So when we go back there, it'll be a huge, big event. Or do you think that the show is just giving this to us to kind of pacify the people who, you know, are, are really in love with the story, are really in love with the books and really want to go to Valyria at some point people who think that danny is going to go through valyria at some point on her way back to westeros do you think that this is just giving those people a little taste of valyria because we're never really going to go there otherwise well i guess if jorah had to go through valyria to get to danny it would make sense that she would have to go back through it to get to westeros maybe i'd have to look at a map specifically Uh, i'm one of those people who thinks that she'll have to travel back through it and go to her homeland before traveling to westeros and i hope that we'll get to see that but i could also totally see the show just doing this to satisfy fans saying okay well we did something we did it the best we could we had it serve two purposes with the stone men and valyria and you know enjoy the book version of it we can't do it in the show yeah but who knows they have those sets they do have the sets you know and it it uh i mean it looked amazing it was it was pretty pretty cool for sure it looks Um, it looks so unlike anything we've seen before and I, i was really surprised that they went there with it because to bring that into the mythology of the show i think is it is a big deal and when we were talking about the world of ice and fire um book i showed you like the the image of valyria at its height was my favorite one in the book and that chapter to me is so fascinating because even though it's only a few pages like that could be its own high fantasy series the fall of valyria Uh, and that's something that i don't know if i'll ever feel like i have enough information on i'm just so interested in in what that time period was and what happened there so i'm glad we at least got a taste of it on the show yeah i think so i think so all right anything else about this storyline or do you want to shift over and talk about some more r plus l equals j because that stuff is dope let's just never stop talking about (laughs) r plus l equals j we're gonna change this it's it's no longer game of thrones book club it's r plus l equals j book club i think everyone would be okay with it oh i don't know i don't actually know how much more about r plus l equals j we need to talk about in terms of well in terms of what was on the show this week in terms of you know we we kind of covered that with the whole maester aemon thing i thought that was a great great scene and i do think that it's just you know another kind of in your face moment of this is happening we're doing this we're going there i think that the other thing that people are um you know taken with this is a question that we got we got this a lot from a lot of people we got this from from christopher hay this question with everyone assuming Jon snow will be resurrected by melisandre at the start of winds of winter what do you expect will happen now that they have already left the wall to head south this from randy randy writes just want to get your take on the show having melisandre leaving the wall given that there is a theory that she will play a part in bringing Jon snow back from the dead how do you think this plot will play out on the show so we got this and we got this from other people too so you know a lot of people wondering about 
this. A lot of people notice this, that Stannis finally decides he's going to march on Winterfell. Uh, he takes Davos with him. He takes his wife. He takes his daughter and he takes Melisandre. And that whole contingent, that whole storyline has now left the wall and is heading south to Winterfell. We know from reading the book that John is going to get, if not killed, then almost killed at the very least, uh, get betrayed and stabbed by his own you know, brothers in black. And it's not going to look very good for him. A lot of people thinking that Melisandre being a red priestess is going to breathe life back into him. Does Melisandre marching on Winterfell take that off the table, not just for the show, but also the books? No, I don't think so. Because as we know with Lady Stoneheart, it's not like someone needs to die immediately and then and then immediately get brought back to life. I think even if Melisandre stays at Winterfell, maybe she hears the news that John is dead and hops on her horse and rides as quickly as she can. It can only be, what, a couple of days if you're traveling quickly to get to Winterfell. I feel like maybe it's longer than that. But I feel like there are still five more episodes left this season. There's still plenty of time to have her back in Winterfell for or back at Castle Black for some reason. And I still stand by that she's going to resurrect him. If not, lame. You think, what about you? So do you think that that's how he's going to come back for sure? I think so, yeah. Um, we got from our, from our friend Geek Furious. Geek Furious floats this theory out. Uh, in the books, Melisandre stays at the wall and is there when John is on the receiving end of the stabby stab, happy fun time gang. <laughs> Many have speculated that she would resurrect John, me included. But does her leaving suggest that perhaps his survival was achieved in a very different way? Earlier this year at Oxford Union, Kit Harrington said he'd like to warg and David Benioff made an offhanded comment something like, in season six, is there any way the show is holding Bran for next season because John will be quote quote dead and inside a beast of some kind and need brand to get him out or am i overthinking it this is the other popular theory uh, terry the other the other popular theory here is that john um because in dance with dragons not so much on the show but in dance with dragons it is there's a lot of explicit detail and a lot of explicit hints about how john has powerful warging abilities that he's not even really aware of um it is what we get from varamir six skins in the in the prologue chapter he's he's thinking about john and what john is capable of doing um and we know that you know one of the last things that he thinks of and one of the last things he sees as he's getting stabbed i forget the line i don't have the book right in front of me it's something like uh like uh he looked at ghost or something with ghost uh so a lot of people think that john is going to warg into ghost after getting stabbed here and leave his dead body behind um do you think that that's something that we could see on the show do you think that that could be the out for you know melisandre going to the wall is that giving any credence to this theory that john is going to warg his way out of this situation i mean maybe i actually i'm not entirely behind the theory that he wargs into ghost at the end of the book i mean there are people who were convinced that rob warged into gray wind and like maybe he did maybe that adds another tragic layer to his death um but i think i think definitely they need to at some point acknowledge that it's more than bran who can Warg. We haven't seen Nymeria or we haven't seen Nymeria or Arya having wolf dreams at all. Maybe that will come this season with her and Bravos. Um, but I could see. I could also see if they're teasing season six for that, and John isn't actually dead. Maybe being resurrected by Melisandre awakens some of those powers within within him or his awareness of those powers, and that's something that he uses in the future. Yeah, that could be fun. I, I think if they if they did that through another Stark, like if they did that through Arya, I think that they don't have to do that through John as well. Like if we see Arya having wolf dreams at some point, I think that that would 
for me, that would be enough on the show to like just say like more Starks than Bran uh, can do this. Like more Starks than Bran have this ability to to potentially warg. And I think that you could just extend that to John if that was something that happens. But it hasn't really been a big deal on the show outside of the Bran storyline. And Bran is MIA this season, so we're not going to get too much of that through him. For for all my love of Rickon, I can't remember if they ever had Shaggy Dog start acting up. Uh, when Rickon was around on the show or whether that's just in the book and I'm reappropriating memories. I barely remember Rickon, period. (laughs) Well, someone can tell us. That's our question for for the listeners here. (laughs) Let us know if that's something that I'm totally making up or if that made it into the show because that could be something they're leaning into more. We've barely even seen any direwolves this season. It's been limited on the direwolves. I'd like to see more of Ghost. Maybe we'll see more of Ghost as John is going to be leaving the wall. So he's going to be leaving the wall. Uh, he is he is sailing for a hard home. Um, he doesn't actually go to hard home in the book, right? No. Um, so what do, you, what do you think about this, that John is going to be there? Is that just to get Kit Harrington into some action scenes? I think that's just to get Kit Harrington into some action scenes. Yeah. And they were like, hey, we should, you know, have him actually be an acting Lord Commander instead of just, you know doing politics up at the wall. Yeah, because um, in the books, he's, you know, it's a very politically driven story. Uh, you know, we're really learning more about Jon Snow, the politician, less about Jon Snow, the warrior. Jon Snow, the warrior is established. Jon Snow, the politician. Jon Snow, the leader is less established. I find that very interesting in the books, but a lot of people think it's pretty boring. Well, um, I guess with Stannis leaving the wall to go to Winterfell, it sort of makes sense that you would want Jon or Kit to have other different actors to work opposite instead of just being him and Sam at the wall reading letters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sam is really our only eyes and ears on the wall right now. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to be staying behind, keep reading Samuel Tarly. Uh, so, you know, Sam who in the books should be sailing toward old town right about now is like not only not doing that, but he is, that's it. He's our only boots on the ground on the wall. Well, let's talk about that for a second. because There was that conversation in this episode between Sam and Gilly, uh, where they're talking about the Citadel And I honestly wonder, like, are they going to send Sam off to the Citadel by the end of this season? Because I've been wondering. Yeah, hard drop of the O word, old time. Yeah. And I've been wondering, you know, if they do kill John this season, what is Sam going to do if he's still at the wall? But maybe in like episode eight or nine or something, when John gets back from hard home, he's like, Sam, there aren't any books here to tell you what we need to know about White Walkers go to the Citadel and then Sam is away when the mutiny happens. What do you think about that? Well, the fact that we had kill the boy as the episode title, which is, you know, the thing that's just like blasting in John's mind as he is commanding Sam to go to old town. Uh, it, I, I thought that we might be getting that with the fact that Sam, uh, and being wanting to be a maester someday in old town itself, keeps getting brought up in this episode i really thought that maybe that's where we were going with that story in this episode that john was going to kill the boy and let the the man be born uh and command sam to leave uh i kind of did think that that's where we're going i don't know that we're completely done with that yet that could be an end of season type of thing um but i could i could see that i could see that for sure uh we had a question well sam has had like nothing to do with this season and that's disappointing yeah we had a question from hannah who says there's been lots of talk about the old town story being cut from the show 
show, but could the extra appearances by Eamon and Stannis telling Sam to keep reading be a sign that Sam may still be on his way to becoming a maester? And if so, how would it come to be in the show? I would say, yeah, I do think it's a sign that that could still happen. I, I do think that that is still on the table. I think that the Old Town stuff, he could be sent to Old Town at the end of the season uh, or toward the end of the season. I mean, at, at any point at this point forward is toward the end of the season. Yeah, um, seriously. So I, I think that I think it's still on the table. I still think it's a possibility. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. What did you think of the acknowledgement in, in the conversation between Stannis and Sam uh, of Stannis being interested in the story of Sam the Slayer, of how Sam the Slayer killed a White Walker? He killed a White Walker with obsidian, with dragon glass. San, uh, Stannis acknowledging that Dragonstone has a metric F ton of dragon glass. Uh, Stannis seemingly taking the White Walker threat seriously, even if he is focusing on the Boltons right now. Are we just going to strip mine Dragonstone of dragon glass? And is that going to be what we're using against the White Walkers in the future? You know, I've actually like never thought that far ahead to what will think, happen when they fight. Think that isn't far that ahead. I know, isn't that weird? Like we only have like two books or two seasons left. Um, that would be awesome. That would be so typical fantasy, which is not something we see that often in this world. But that would be that would be awesome, especially for Sam to have that in his head, whether he goes off to Old Town or whatever, and he ends up telling people this is how we can kill them let's go to dragonstone stannis isn't there he doesn't need it right now let's do this and fight i'm sure stannis would honestly endorse that as well yeah it'd be pretty badass um matt campbell has a couple of questions as we are marching down toward winterfell uh let's let's start with stannis a stannis question or more more uh more importantly, a, a Baratheon question. Matt writes, why would Solis and Shireen join Stannis on his march to war? I can't think of any upside to that. Are we going to lose uh, Queen Solis and little Shireen? Is this what's going to happen? Are we going to kill these two people off? I would love it if Solis died. She's oh, I'm glad you said Solis. She's the word. No, Shireen is the best, especially this season. Like, if you didn't care about Shireen Baratheon before this point you care about her now she's adorable she's friends with Gilly she's just the cutest and she got Stannis to be nice um but there was something that made me nervous that was in the inside the episode for episode four where Dan and David had a very the showrunners had a very different read on that scene between Stannis and Shireen than I did because I was like this is adorable like he's actually showing his daughter that he loves her we as the audience are seeing that he has feelings and he's not just like this stone like power driven justice driven guy or whatever Uh, but they were like this is a weakness of Stannis's and he doesn't really feel comfortable with that and I was like that doesn't sound good so I'm nervous about them all leaving I hope it means Solis dies but I don't know. Do you think that Shireen's grayscale is going to be a big deal on the show? I don't think so. I think they were only playing that up as a means to set up Jorah. I mean, it's it's dormant, right? It's not. Right, but in the, the in stars. the in the books, Val is a character that we don't have on the show. But in the books, Val the Wildling is like she's all freaked out about Shireen and tells John that like her grayscale is only sleeping and you should kill her while you have the chance and stuff like that. So I wonder if it's going to be a big deal in the books or if it's just to get you know grayscale uh, grayscale on our radar in the books uh, or if it's a big deal with Shireen. And since they've just been hyping up Shireen as a character and now that they've been hyping up grayscale as a concept, I wonder if there's going to be some sort of like epically hard outbreak for her yeah uh i don't know i still think that it's just set up but 
who knows? I think that you're more on the ball with uh, Jorah being the one to carry a tosser. Spread. Yeah. All right. Let's let's take an, another one from Matt Campbell. Uh, let's go to Winterfell now. Um, in the Winterfell storyline this week, we found out some great news, Terry. So break out the cigars. We are having a we're having a baby. We're having a baby. <laughs> In Winterfell, a baby Bolton. Is- I really wasn't sure where you were going with that good news. I was really nervous for a second. I was like, what I'm- actually good happened there? We're, we're, ha- we're having a child. Not you and I, Terry. That's, well, not, what, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, but we're having a, a baby on the child. Show. Yeah. Yeah. We're having a, a book club, a book club baby. <laughs> yeah. We're having we're having a baby in Winterfell. Roos Bolton and Walda Frey are prego. Lego my prego. And Ramsey really wants to probably Lego the prego. And this is Matt's question. Uh, wondering what Ramsey, who is very upset that his dad has what might be a legitimate son on the way, what Ramsey is going to do in response to this. Uh, Matt writes, is the fat wall to pregnant storyline going to lead up to a similar event from Ramsey's past in the books where he killed his brother Domerick. Do you remember this about Domerick? I, I didn't remember. Uh, you know, there's so much about the snows and the Boltons, uh, the Ramsey snow and, and the Bolton family that I try to get out of my mind because they're, t- <laughs> they're so terrible. Uh, but I, I did not remember. So I had to rejigger this and just to set it up uh, from a wiki of ice and fire. We find out uh, if you if you look up Domerick Bolton, this is Domerick's history. Domerick served four years as a page in Barrowton to his aunt, Barbary Dustin, and then squired for three years in the Vale of Aaron for Lord Horton Redfort in the Vale. Domerick enjoyed the company of Horton's sons and began to consider them brothers. Lord Redford thought the lad had the making of a tournament champion. After returning from the Vale to the Dreadfort, Domerick heard he had half, uh, a bastard half-brother, Ramsay Snow, and wished to seek him out against his father's wishes since he had always wanted a brother of his own. Soon after the visit, Domerick died in 297 AC from a sickness of the bowels according to Maester Euthor. However, Roos believes Ramsay poisoned Domerick in order to become Roos's only son. Um, so that's a really uh, messed up backstory story if true uh, just another thing to add to the list of horrible things that ramsey has done and there's even a passage from a dance with dragons on this uh this wiki page this wiki of ice and fire page where Roos says to theon ramsey killed him a sickness of the bowels maester euthor says but i say poison uh so he he believes that his son uh was killed by his bastard son do you think that we're going to get a version of this on the show with ramsey either murdering uh walda or somehow destroying the pregnancy is i was about to ask is that beyond ramsey but i don't think i think that's a terrible question because obviously it's not beyond ramsey but do you think that it's uh something that the show would explore do you think that there's a reason to do it well i went rion who plays ramsey flat out said that he does something worse this season than he has in any other season so i think killing a baby born or unborn killing the mother of an unborn baby that all counts that would, being, count. That, that would count. That would count. Like that would be up there with cutting was, off yeah. penis and playing them. Yeah. Oh, gross. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask if like the show has the has has the juice to do something like that. Like that. You know, the show hasn't shied from controversy in the past, but would the show kill you know a pregnant woman? Um, and then I immediately was like, oh yeah, the red wedding happened. Forgot yeah. about that. That was yeah. pretty. That was pretty I gnarly. Think, I don't think that would be. That's not the same sort of controversy as like filming a rape scene, but not acknowledging that it's a rape scene. You know, killing a yeah. pregnant character on a show is storytelling as terrible as it is. And 
Like as much as great as Scott Walda was in this episode, I don't think that she is a character that anyone considers their absolute favorite in the entire series who they're rooting for forever. What if what if Ramsey kills her and turns her into Frey Pie? <laughs> we need to have Frey Pie at some point on this show. Is that is that on the table? Is is Walda Frey Pie on the menu? And is, and is Ramsey the baker? Could you imagine? Like, I mean, they're building up to a, a Ramsey and Sansa wedding. Obviously, like next episode or whatever. Oh, where's Walda at the wedding? I don't know, but here's a pie. Where's Walda? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know that I want to play that game of Where's Walda. It's a very different game from Where's Walda. Yes. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. Uh, what do you think of, of Reek uh, really kind of being Theon Greyjoy in this episode? A lot of acknowledgement of Reek's past as Theon. Did you enjoy any of that? I didn't. I actually, uh, I, before this episode aired, uh, Zap to it spoke with Alfie Allen, who plays Theon. It wasn't me. I was actually on a flight. So my coworker uh, spoke to him for me. And he said that like a lot of this season we're going to be seeing sort of a, a return to Theon and like having Sansa around really bringing out um, the Theon that's left in Reek which I think is interesting and is a good story function for having someone like Sansa be at the wall instead or at uh, Winterfell instead of Jane Poole it works on multiple levels as we're seeing um, so yeah I'm okay with that I, I feel like at the end of the season we have to get to that point that we get to in Dance with Dragons where Reek is considering himself to be Theon again. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll say I'm not, I'm not loving Theon on the show yet this season. Um, and that's, that's a little disappointing for me because Theon, you know, it, it's, it's very hard to like come up with your list of the, the best characters in Game of Thrones, but everybody has their favorites. And like I've done the, who are, who are my top five favorite characters? Top five, like, point of view characters you know people who get their own chapters and perspectives and all of that and after dance with dragons theon shot up for for me in really? the top five yeah i just i don't know i just i really love his his story in the books and the way george writes him and you know the big epiphany he has of you have to remember your name and i don't know i, I think a lot of that is so internal with with theon right. um that it's it's really hard to express that on the show but just like this character who i find to be one of the most beautifully written characters in the book hasn't really popped for me yet on the show and granted a lot of that stuff hasn't happened on the show yet so still time for that to change for me but um you know i i just adore theon and i and i really hope that they do justice to his story here in winterfell because i think it's one of the most masterful things from the book and it just I hasn't really, translated so much on the show for me yet. i could really see that being a big part of the back half of this season though I so, yeah. they had to they had to get all the pieces sort of in place for sansa and theon to even know each other exist anymore but we've seen that we had that in this episode so i can definitely see if for however many scenes we have of theon have that be a main part of it uh for the next few episodes yeah i hope so i hope so all right so let's wrap up here unless there's anything else from the episode that you've got to uh you've got to riff on um uh, i'm trying to think what else was out there that we might have missed the truth. And the truth the truth is uh, the end of this episode was telegraphed yeah here. uh yeah i mean i think we got most things oh there was the miss and gray worm 
kiss. With yeah, it. whatever. A dress. It happened. Cute. It happened. That was a thing. Hooray. Happy for them. Happy for them. <laughs> yeah, you were telling me before we, we came on here and started recording, you were telling me about how like this is a storyline that you think that show only viewers really care about. Yeah, I thought it was really funny after last week's episode uh, when Barrison died. And obviously we were all like, oh, my God, Barrison is dead. A lot of my friends who just watch the show were messaging me or just tweeting like, oh, my God, is Grey Worm OK? I was like, who the fuck cares about Grey Worm? <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Barry the Bold here. Yeah. And like I totally some of my coworkers who I mentioned earlier were like, Oh my God, like, is Grey Worm okay? I was like, yeah, he's probably okay. Like, he kisses Miss Andy. And they're like, oh, good. Like, I love, I love them together so much. I was like, really? Okay. Like, I guess I could see that. They're both attractive people. They're both, like, Grey Worm is great in the show. I could see that being something that you latch onto. There are no other healthy relationships on this show that anyone can get invested with. So, fine, sure. You can have that one, show watchers. Fair enough. Oh, and then just one quick thing. Uh, we didn't record this podcast live on YouTube or anything this week but luke strobel happened to tweet us as the show was recording i told luke luke you've got like five seconds to tweet us a question if you want to get a question in did he he did luke luke tweeted a couple of questions uh we'll just do one uh luke wrote in Tyrion definitely caught the cooties too right what do you think is Tyrion? is Tyrion? uh does he have the cooties or is he grayscale cootie free i think he's cootie free i think he's cootie free yeah so cootie free uh goods and we're all cootie free here, yeah. except for Jorah Mormont, who is not allowed on this podcast for the duration. Yeah, stay away. Unless he has a hazmat suit, let's stay away from Jorah Mormont. All right, let's look ahead at next week. Next week's episode, Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken. Uh, House Martell's words. So I guess anyone who is complaining about the lack of Dorn, we should hopefully get a decent amount of Dorn next week. I I think so, and I hope so. You got to think so. You got to hope so because it's been fairly sparse so far. I mean, we've got we've got Jamie there. We had the great scenes with Jamie and Bron in the the episode before this last one. We got to meet the Sand Snakes finally in episode four. But time to turn that on. You know, back after the season, we got to get a little more action there. Yeah. So that'll be. Fun. I want more. I want more Dorn. And since that's been such a big departure from the books, I think that that could be really interesting for us to dive into next week. So we'll see what happens there, and we'll see what happens with everything else. Um, so let's wrap that up. Let's wrap this episode up. Shorter book club than usual. I have to hop on a plane. Terry is. You are drowning, not in grayscale infected water, but you've got a lot of work going on, Terry. Uh, you are. What are you doing over at Zap to it these days? Well, we just got through Upfronts, TV Upfronts, uh, where the broadcast networks announce their new and returning shows for next year's TV season. Uh, it meant a lot of waking up earlier than I usually do in the morning to uh, get some early morning East Coast stuff done. But it's over with. We know what's coming back. And now, as crazy as it is, I'm already starting to think about Comic-Con, which oh, is in less than two months. Um, so, so yeah, just that and Game of Thrones and wrapping up the TV season. Yeah, you'll have to tell me how Comic-Con is. I can't go this year. No, you can't. No, I have a wedding to attend. I had dreams of a book club meetup, but maybe I'll just do that solo without you. Can you can still do that. You can still do If any of wow. you guys are going to Comic-Con, go find Terry Schwartz. You will, we'll not, you will not find me unless uh, I uh, warg into somebody, which is We possible. will. Yeah, I mean. I'll work on I that. Can see it. I can yeah, work, work on I've that. actually been working on my warging skills. I hope to <laughs> debut them on the show at some point in the near future. I'm really excited about that. That can be the wiggler dress of this season, if you will. The wiggler warg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the wiggler. That 
that could be our hashtag for this. Hashtag Wiggler Warg. All right, sure. Hasht- hashtag Wiggler Warg if you got to the end. Follow Terry on Twitter. She's at Terry underscore Schwartz. Uh, and check out everything she's doing on ZapToIt.com. I'm at Ron Howard, like Ron Howard, but Ron. We will be back next week with another episode of the Game of Thrones Book Club talking about unbowed, unbent, unbroken, uh, unbook clubbed, un... I don't know. I was going to make a bunch of un stuff, but... You really landed unsully, <laughs> uncool uncool all right on that, note. <laughs> on that note all right terry thanks for everything and thank you guys so, so much for listening this week and we will be back very soon take care everybody bye bye